Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I had a funny experience the other night um, regarding prayer. So, as you might expect, at Ave Maria Radio, we pray for listeners, we receive requests from listeners. And our office manager, Cheryl, is the one who, you know, indexes them, arranges them, makes sure that they get to the right people. And we also have uh, Servants of God's Love, Sister Ann Shields Order, and also the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Uh, They also join us in prayer, and we have a few other groups that join us as well. So we get a lot of prayer requests. Now, yes, we probably get more than you do as an individual, but tell me, have you never felt that, or have you never said to somebody, I'll pray for you, only to see them again weeks later and never had any prayer for them at all? In fact, you might not even remember what the prayer request was. I think this is a common problem for Christians. They, we, we, we say we'll pray for somebody with the best of intentions. Then we forget, don't have enough time, move on to something else. Uh, in the great stream of consciousness, other things present themselves, and we don't get around to it. But then there's another, another problem that comes up, and that is you really do say, well, God, don't you, you know this already. I mean, what, what, what do you need my, me jumping in on here for? God's already aware of this. How much time do I want to spend on this prayer request? I assume everybody has similar problems like this. So the other night, Cheryl sends over you know, some of our prayer requests, and I start going, I start going through them, and I realize you know, this is enough to drive you nuts. Uh, I mean, the, these, the prayer requests that come in, the first one I looked at, there were 10 particular areas of confusion, agony, desperation. And I thought to myself, how, you know, how does Cheryl maintain her equanimity in cataloging all these needs? I said, if I'm feeling that this is weighing on me, she's sitting on top of all of them. This has to really be eating away at her. Now, you know, I, what I felt like, so you get these prayer requests, right? They're listed. You, you say, Lord, you know, um, you know, Mary is uh, going through this. Da, da, da. You do it fast because you can't spend a lot of time. But you begin to feel like somebody is walking down Main Street and you see one car crash after another, one wrecked vehicle after another, and you know that there's somebody still in there. You don't have any permission to stop and actually get to know the person in there. You don't have any. You don't have any power or intelligence to be actually able to answer those prayers for the people. All you can do, all you can do, is basically make a phone call to the ambulance service and ask for the great physician to show up. But that's what it's like when you look over these lists of prayer requests. It's like you're seeing people's pain and their struggle, their suffering. Um, 
right up front, and it's right there in front of you, one right after another, like watching one wrecked car after another, and you know there are people in those cars, and they're struggling, and what you do is you just kind of throw up a prayer, and you say, well, I hope the ambulance gets there in time. I hope the Lord takes care of that. So, And I didn't like that, and I don't like that. It, it, there seems to be something disproportionate, you know, something that this person's going through that's so important, and here I am, I can discard it in a matter of seconds. Well, so, I'm saying to myself, there's something wrong here in the way I'm thinking about this. Because these prayer requests always make me want to do something beyond prayer. As though, as though prayer, and this is, this, is what's, this is the point of it, as though prayer is such a feeble formality in the face of all the pain and suffering of these people, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, prayer is such an inadequate response to all the pain, the suffering, the desperation and hurt that I see here. That's the problem. So, now I've got something else to pray about, and that's my attitude. So, as I'm thinking about this, praying about this, I open the scriptures a bit, and I remind myself at that time that the Father... Christ Jesus and the Spirit are already indwelling these believers. I mean, Jesus is already at work in their lives, healing and organizing, correcting, instructing, and that the triune God loves them as much as he loves me. And our prayers aren't just feeble formalities that we throw out there because we're obligated to. But our prayers give us an invitation and an opportunity to actually join with the triune God in creating supernatural causes. Prayer changes things. And of course, it changes us on the inside as we pray in union with God's will. And our prayers also serve to ratify that it is God's will to restore these sons and daughters of Adam and Eve to become what he created them to be co-regents over creation with him. Yes, that's he's making them all that he created them to be. And our prayer, my prayer, your prayer, is part of the divine causality that brings that about. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, the first one I'm looking at, has, like I said, has these ten requests in it. And immediately I say, I, I, I should call her up and say, what can I do to help? You know, I can't leave you there with so many burdens. And then I remember Galatians 6.2, right? And I remember that by praying with one another, we're already bearing one another's burdens. And I started thinking about this. I actually went to write to Galatians 6.2 and began reading and thinking about it. And there are various translations that help to tease out the importance of this commandment, bear one another's burdens. Obeying it establishes and maintains the integrity of the church's witness. Praying for one another is bearing one another's burdens. That's one of the forms that it takes. Carry one another's burdens. This one translation puts it this way. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. Uh, Here's another one. Shoulder each other's burdens, and then you will live as the law of the anointed teaches us. When we pray for one another, we are shouldering one another's burdens. 
Here's another one. Bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults, and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to him. That's a rather preachy paraphrase uh, of Galatians 6.2. But in the context of St. Paul's arguments there, it does dress that command up with a proper gravity. Because for St. Paul, how we relate to one another is his evidence that his gospel is true. This is why roughly 20, 21 times he gives a command I call them the one another commands. Bear one, bear one another's burdens. Um, serve one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Exhort one another. Admonish one another. Okay, over, these are wonderful. Uh, and why does he do that? Because he knows the watching world needs to see a people who do shoulder one another's burdens. They need to see a people that are really praying for one another that are, in fact, loving one another, serving one another, who have the courage to admonish one another, challenge, confront one another when necessary, but also forgive one another. The world longs to see a people like that, a people which is, in fact, a divine family, the family of God. Um, And what's interesting is that in Galatians, Paul has in mind a particular audience, and in fact, he's fighting against a particular group of Christians who have false doctrine. They're called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that to be a disciple of Jesus, one had to be marked as a son of Israel first. And that was done by complying with Israel's cultic practices like circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, dietary restrictions. So they had to eat kosher, too. And these practices, these were the practices that erected a border and marked Israel off from the surrounding Gentiles. Um, So these Judaizing Christians liked to boast of how many they had circumcised and initiated into the life of Israel. They were boasting in the flesh of others' foreskins. And that's where they were getting their sense of self, their identity. For all their legalistic wrangling about the law and the ritual of circumcision by which they purify themselves from the pollution of the Gentile world, St. Paul's saying, you're actually spiritual failures. Your approach to this isn't producing the new, regenerated human being that is the supreme fruit of the gospel. St. Paul says, no, there is a new humanity through faith in, in Christ. And it, it, you don't regenerate the human being by imposing those b- markers, those uh, boundary markers of Israel on people. We receive the life-giving power of God unto salvation, the gospel, not by works of law, but by God's Spirit. And so, if just back up from Galatians 6.2 to 5.22, and you can see him kind of bringing this whole thing to a climax. He writes, the fruit of the Spirit, again, look, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, or the flesh, or the old nature, or the corrupt nature, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step, let us walk with the Spirit. So, the new man, the new regenerated person in Christ, 
Let us not become conceited and provoking one another. Let's not envy each other the way these Judaizers are envious of me and Barnabas and preachers of the true gospel. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, because you too can be tempted. Bear your burdens, one another's burdens, and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself, and not in the circumcised flesh of his neighbor. Anyways, he goes on to make an extended argument about how all of these one another commands are markers of the new humanity. Not circumcision, right? Not um, dietary laws, not Sabbath keeping. Uh, And he actually says, um, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he gives in one final cut, so to speak. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. His whole point is, in bearing one another's burdens and all these others one another commands, praying for one another, we're showing that we are the regenerated sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, who were called to be stewards over all creation, and that this gospel is going to eventually permeate and renew the entire cosmos, according to Romans 8, 19-23, Revelation 21, Isaiah and 42-43, talking about this too. Beautiful all about prayer, all about bearing one another's burdens, all related to Christ's new creation, best seen in the church.